Welcome to the iHeart Africa Project podcast. This is episode number five. Kansas-born veterinarian Dr. Evan Anton first travelled to Africa in 2007 to study wildlife and ecology. Right from an early age, Evan knew animals would be a large part of his life. From domesticated to wild animals, from large to small, he loves them all. Animals are his world. But in particular, he has an innate love for the most irrationally feared and misunderstood creatures, such as snakes, sharks and crocodiles. He splashed across our television screens earlier this year in February 2019 when he hosted his own wildlife show on Animal Planet called Evan Goes Wild. The Californian-based veterinarian was voted and named People Magazine's Sexiest Vet Alive for three years running. He has travelled the world working with wildlife, whether he is rushing across the veldt in Africa to aid with darting a giraffe to help build giraffe populations, running away from a rushing rhino in Kenya, trekking with gorillas in Rwanda, or assisting Rhino 911 with their anti-poaching efforts, Dr Evan uses his prominent internet profile to help spread the message of wildlife awareness and conservation around the globe. He is truly a -a one-of-a-kind person who offers understanding and compassion to even the smallest of creatures. I caught up with Dr Evan in September as he was preparing to head back to Africa. It was my humblest pleasure to chat with Evan and today I would like to share that interview with you all. So on that note, let's welcome Dr Evan Anton to the iHeart Africa Project podcast. Hi Evan. Yeah, how are you oh. doing, Thank you for agreeing to be interviewed and being part of the iHeart Africa Project. For those listening, can you please introduce yourself, where you are from, and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, my name is Dr. Evan Anson. I'm a small animal, exotic, and wildlife veterinarian. I'm originally from Kansas, but I currently reside near Los Angeles, California. Awesome. All right, so where are you currently working at the moment? I um, mean, yeah, I'm employed at Conejo Valley Veterinary Hospital. Yep. And that's in Thousand Oaks, California, not far from L.A. But I do veterinary work all over the world, not as an employee, but more just volunteering my time and working with different wildlife in different countries. That's sort of like your passion, isn't it? Very much, yeah. I mean, I, listen, I love dogs and cats, too. <laughs> and I've always had, you know, taken care of them and had them growing up. But I absolutely love working with uh, exotic animals and wildlife. It's um, definitely a passion. Yep. So how long have you been a vet for now? I graduated in May of 2013, so a little over six years. Oh, wow. So have you always been passionate about animals and wildlife, or where does that come from? Yeah, that's that's, that's lifelong. I mean, when I grew up, it was in Kansas in a suburb, suburban kind of setting. We had a creek in the backyard, and for, I mean, ever since I could walk, I was going in the backyard and catching snakes and frogs and looking for insects and that kind of thing. And then, you know, when I was in... I guess middle school and high school, I started getting more focused on social life and sports and that kind of thing. But towards the end of high school, I just really reconnected with my love of nature and started going snake hunting and doing the same kind of things I was doing as a kid. But I had a car, so I would you know, go, you know, I could go to other places and good spots and catch, you know, copperheads and rattlesnakes and that kind of thing. And then it just took off. Like I, I studied abroad my third year of college in in uh, Sydney, Australia. Yep. And took some zoology courses and marine bio and some other classes and just you know had just such a time and got really infected with the travel bug and that was when I was 21 and ever since then I've been traveling I mean I've been at least in a foreign country at least once a year since then these last few years it's been uh, a lot of traveling several countries every year and just doing a lot of work with wildlife and stuff 
Yep. So when did you first travel to Africa? My first trip to Africa was actually in 2007, and this was a second study abroad semester I did. So I went to Tanzania. I was based basically in Arusha, but we did a lot of traveling. And this was a special, like a wildlife conservation and ecology sort of a sort of a course course load. And so we're just going. It was just about all about you know undergrad kids getting their feet wet and, and you know learning a bit about conservation and ecology and what research would kind of look like out there and you know we're not we're not doing any real you know kind of papers or real research it's just about kind of getting the lay of the land and getting used to that world and learning more about conservation in that area and that kind of thing and so we went to a lot of the big national parks there like Serengeti, Lake Minyara, Tarangeri, Ngorgor Crater. We did some private reserves as well. Uh, we did a Maasai homestay for a week which was just a total culture shock epic experience. Mm-hmm. And had a, yeah, I had an amazing time. And after, so that was the whole semester. I was like, you know, four or five months or something. And then I met my dad in South Africa. And we did some traveling in South Africa for about maybe like almost, or no, we weren't, no, we did South Africa. We did Cape Town. So actually, that was the first time I ever drove with white sharks. Great white sharks was then uh, near, you know, a little bit um, uh, east of Cape Town. Uh, off uh, near Seal Island, and then we went and did Blue Kearns River Bridge. I bungee jumped that. That was super fun. And then from there, we went to uh, Botswana, did the Okavango Delta for about a week. And then from there, we went to Zambia and just hung out, did some safari, and did some uh, hung out by Victoria Falls. Oh, nice. So that was an epic sub-Saharan Africa adventure. And obviously, there's more. Every time I go, there's more and more places I want to see and more I want to do. So. I got a lot more involved in uh, you know conservation with you know people doing work in Africa in 2017. Uh, so I hadn't been there for 10 years, and then I got back because this organization by the name Rhino 911 reached out to me, and they were just like, "Hey, we'd love to have you out. Show you what Rhino Conservation is all about. What's going on out here? And we just we just want help raising awareness." And I didn't know a lot about you know what was going on with Rhino at that time. I, I knew they were getting poached for their horn and that kind of thing. But I didn't really know the ins and outs and, and really how horrible it was mm-hmm. and how, how fast we're losing them. Uh, and so, man, I've been to South Africa, gosh, like five times in the last couple of years. And I've been to several other African countries in the last couple of years, too. Kenya, Rwanda, Congo, Liberia, you know, working with other animals and wildlife and wildlife rescues or conservationists, ecologists or vets. Yeah, it holds a special place in my heart. I'll always go to Africa on a regular basis, I think, for the rest for as long as I can. Yeah. Do you travel, besides the trip with your dad, when you go back there, do you normally travel alone? Usually it's alone. I mean, one time I went to, uh, gosh, early, or sorry, at the end of last year, I went to Kenya with TV show that I was filming, and I was the host of the show. It's called Evan Goes Wild. It's an animal planet show. Yep. It was just me doing, like, you know, working with animals and doing veterinary work around the world. Some of it was domestics, but a lot of it was exotics and wildlife. Yep. And we went all over. I mean, we were in South America, Central America, Asia, Africa, all over. Yeah, I actually have a question about episode four of Evan Goes Wild, yeah, which yeah, which yeah. actually aired earlier this year. So that sees you obviously go to Kenya, like you just said. But for those who haven't seen the show, what happened in episode four? We went to Kenya and we stayed on the Old Jogi Conservancy, which is a big, it's like almost 80,000 hectares of this protected land. It's a really beautiful, special place. It's pretty exclusive, too. Yeah, we, we got to work with some of the wildlife there. So one of the animals that really just touched me was this, this young rhino named Maymay. And she's only a few years old. And we it's, it's a tough case because we actually we don't know exactly what's, 
what's wrong with her or at least what caused it, but she's got some liver issues. And so we were doing some work with her, checking her blood work and doing some other overall health exams and consulting and just kind of talking about, okay, what's a good plan for her given that she has this? We don't know what caused it, so we talked a lot about preventative medicine and other you know, trial treatments we could pursue to try to get her better. And she's just, I mean, she's got such a big heart, like so many rhino do. Yeah. You know, rhinos that have been poached, their horns have been cut off, their face has been cut off, and they still survive. And if they get the care they need, they can still live. I mean, they're just, they're some of the toughest damn animals. And May May was no exception. And she had just a big heart of gold, and she was still hungry and still, you know, wanted to engage. And she was just a really special little rhino. It was just kind of heartbreaking that she wasn't doing too well. Uh, we got to work with a few other rhino there that just needed some routine health checks. That was really neat. We uh, we actually had a really special cheetah in that episode. Baby cheetah, her she was probably like six or eight months at the time. But when when uh, when that cheetah was young, its mother was killed, and so all the cheetah cubs were kind of left to fend on their own. They unfortunately somehow came across a feline viral disease that wiped out every one of them except for this last one. Wow. So she was the last one of her litter. And when she was fending for herself, we think either a farm dog or a hyena or something bit her or got you know got her on the back pretty good. So she actually had a, a broken back that, that was healing. Wow. And that's a big concern for a cheetah because they move, you know, they have to move so fast and then we you know, their their movement is asking so much of their back mobility. Yep. Just with their gait, with how they run and everything. So it was, it was one of those cases where, you know, only time will tell if she's able to be released back in the wild. But she was doing really well. Her repeat x-rays we took looked super good. And everything else about her was, was actually quite promising. But, yeah, no, that, that was a special place. We actually, one other thing we got to do, I just have to say, we got to, we got this local class of school children, probably anywhere from ages like seven or eight up to like 14, give or take. Yep. None of these kids have even seen an elephant. What? Uh, in person. Yeah, they've never seen an elephant in person. You know, oh. some of the communities are so separate from the, you know, the, the areas where the animals are. Yeah. You know, and a lot of them aren't allowed to go in there, or they can't afford to go in there, or, you know, for whatever reason, they just, they, it's, it's, it's sad, it's crazy, but these people, you would think that, you know, almost live amongst these animals, hardly even get to see them, so, you know, a lot of them had, they were afraid of elephants, and they've heard these horror stories, and might even know of people or know of communities that have, you know, gotten, you know, uh, their land was encroaching on elephant land and bad stuff happens sometimes, you know, and the elephants can destroy their crop and sometimes they can destroy people too. So these kids were really scared, but we had some really good elephant ambassadors that were rescue elephants and they were living on the, on that conservancy. And we had an opportunity to actually get these kiddos close up and personal to these elephants. So I got to teach them a little bit about elephants and, and their morphology and their nature and and just some facts about them and get them up close and I you know it's one of those moments where you, you kind of see opinions change right in front of your eyes where these kids go from really fearful to really respect respectful of these animals you know like you so I'm not saying you, you shouldn't fear an elephant you should they can be very dangerous but at the same time you know they had no idea how intelligent they were they had no idea how emotional they were mm-hmm. they, they, they didn't know how you know they didn't know a lot of these things about them and so getting to share that with the local community is always super special to me. I mean, sustainable conservation, one of the pinnacles of it is getting the community involved and motivated to want to protect these animals and making it so these animals are more valuable to them alive versus dead. Absolutely. And so that was a special moment, yeah. Absolutely. Education is very important around African wildlife at the moment. Yeah. So in 2017-2018 you went to Kruger National Park in South Africa and you worked with Rhino 911 was it? 
with yeah. rhino conservation. And I see you assisted with a rhino dehorning. What was that like? Yeah, I'm lucky. I've got to be a part of several of those. And, I mean, the first time you do it, it just seems crazy. And you think about, oh, my gosh, it's rhino. I mean, a rhino is a rhino because of its horns, right? Yep. And so it's, it's um, you kind of have to wrap your mind around it, but, around it. But when you realize the importance of it and the reason that we're doing it, you know, I think anybody can rationalize, you know, and, and you know, why we do it and the importance of it. And so, I mean, the first time I did it, I'm just in awe of how big and powerful these animals are. I mean, that, you know, you, I know how big they are. I know how much they weigh. I know these, like, the facts. But, like, when you act, you're in their presence and you're seeing all this and you're a part of it and you're trying to, you know, get this rhino positioned right and hold its head and do all that stuff. And it's just, I mean, it's a trip. It's really, it's kind of hard to explain. You just kind of have to experience it and be there. But it's a really special thing to get to do. And, you know, the most incredible thing about doing that is is actually reversing these rhino, waking them up. Yep. Because, you know, it, it takes a big effort. It takes a whole team and several people and it's expensive and we need vets and tools and drugs and all that helicopters and everything it's, it's totally such a production but we just need to borrow not even 30 minutes of this rhino's time and the rhino that they wake up and you know leave that situation is a rhino that's far safer against poachers it's not a guarantee dehorned rhino rhinos that have their horns trimmed they still get poached and killed yep. for different reasons but it is definitely less likely it's, it is a it is a good protective measure and it's really rewarding yep. to be able to just borrow them and, and do something that's really it's just you know you do it and you see it it's, it's just like a, a really intense nail trim you know it's not even really <laughs> i don't even consider surgery yeah like as an american when we say when we say d something like d claw or d horn that means you're removing surgically removing something i i consider it more of a horn trim because all we're doing is just trimming down the horn and still leaving the base we're not going into the blood supply we're not going into any living tissue it's just a big trim. I mean, we use big, you know, big saws and, and grinders. Yeah. So it's not your, your typical nail trim, but it's really, it's not invasive. And these rhinos do really well and we wake them up and, you know, they're a lot safer. Yeah. And how do you, th- how important is it to you that people are aware of the dramatically declining numbers of rhinos due to poaching? I mean, Sorry. using your social media, how important is it to you to make more people aware just how many rhinos are actually getting poached yeah i mean that's just like any form of conservation or any kind of issue i mean if people don't know then you know how, how can somebody love you know care about something that they don't even know about that's happening mm-hmm. so one of the first steps here is is in my opinion is awareness and it's just getting it out there and getting people informed and just making people realize and they have to realize most people will learn and be like oh my gosh it's terrible and they're not necessarily going to do anything dramatic about it but even if you know a fraction of a percent of those people turn around and want to get involved and do something, I mean that's how we start making a difference. Absolutely. So you got yeah, it's just about getting the word out there and getting people to understand that. And this is and this goes for so many different species in Africa and around the world and, and non-animal related issues too. If you don't know, and you can't love something if you don't know. Absolutely. You know, if you don't know, you'll never care. So yeah, awareness is hugely important. And that's that's something also where I feel like I can bring a lot of value. I mean, I'm a vet. I love doing veterinary work. But I'm not, I'm not the best rhino vet in the world, you know. <laughs> there's, there's guys out there that work with rhino way more than I do. And when I go out there, I learn a ton from them. So I'm not trying to go out there and say, oh, you know, you know here's what you guys need to do. And, and I'm telling them how to do their job. It's not like that. It's more just like me being a part of it, helping out where I can. And really where I bring value, I think, is the awareness component. But being a vet, I can't imagine that you are scared of any animal. 
but <laughs> but is there any African animal that perhaps may get a little closer attention from you or you give a little bit more respect because not because you're scared of them but more because you're more wary of them yeah absolutely I mean and trust me there are plenty of us that are afraid of plenty of animals I have <laughs> colleagues that don't want to even look at a snake so it's uh, it, yeah just because you're a vet doesn't mean you, you're okay with everything um, I am one of those people and I'm not I don't have any irrational fear of any animal I'm you know, every animal has something fascinating about it. It's evolved and survived and made its way to live on this planet for some reason, and whatever that is, I'm probably going to find it pretty interesting. Yep. Uh, now, the animals that I'm concerned about within Africa and have, you know, special awareness of, you know, one that one in South Africa would be, you know, the Cape Buffalo. Yes. You know, I mean, those guys are, I mean, they're one of the few truly vengeful, potentially vengeful animals. They can be aggressive, unprovoked. They can be absolutely nuts. And they can be very destructive. So I have a very healthy respect for them. And I never want to be caught alone with them, not you know, <laughs> not near any very tall trees. <laughs> yep. So those, I have a real big sweet spot, soft spot for, for, for snakes and really all misunderstood animals, spiders, rats, sharks, all kinds of stuff. Because there's so many irrational fears on these animals. And so it's just, it's really too bad. They get a bad rap and they get, you know, often killed or, you know, they just don't get the respect they deserve. So, but a lot of the snakes in Africa, however, are legitimately venomous. Most of them are not. Most of them are harmless. But there are venomous snakes. I personally love working with them. But when I do, I try to be very cautious. And I would say one, one more that comes to mind right off the top of my head is uh, uh, chimpanzees. Oh, yes, yes. They are so dangerous and this and you know they could they, they can be they're just i mean i just as a vet and working with people that you work with chimps in captivity or veterinarians or whatever i just heard some of the worst horror stories with chimps and they can be a bit unpredictable and when they you know listen i love chimps and i don't in any way want to make people more afraid of chimps or not like chimps but just primates in general can be pretty scary but those guys in particular just they, they can be quite violent and, and quite scary and just do some pretty sinister stuff so i love them I really try to raise a lot of awareness about them, especially after my last trip to the Congo. And there's a lot of things people don't realize about chimpanzees. And I, you know, I really strive to make a difference for their conservation too and work with people on the ground that are really doing big things and good things for them. But they are legitimately very dangerous. Yeah. Uh, elephants too. Elephants is one more. Yeah. You can't get complacent with those. They can be so sweet and you can be working with them and all of a sudden they can turn and it's really, uh, they can just, you know, step on you pretty easily or, you know, buck you with one of their, with one of their tusks and, all over it sure is so i heard you actually had a slight fondness for some of the lesser liked creatures snakes being one of them what is it about snakes that you makes you like them so much is it because they're so feared and so misunderstood i think that definitely plays a part of it you know i just it's they're just the underdog and that that's for sure a part of it i my love for animals from a very young age actually started with reptiles mm -hmm. and i can't totally explain it i just i find them to be just fascinating and beautiful and they're so different than the cute cuddlies and they're so different from mammals and they just look i mean i think feel like crocodiles are just one of the most beautiful things in the world for instance same with a lot of the snakes and vipers and things like that they just have this really I mean, I, I don't know, it's just really badass look to them, and I just, I love them. And then when I learned what, you know, there was venomous snakes, and these snakes have a, a toxin that they produce, and they inject with their bite. It was like this immediate, utter fascination that nature could create this. And they're not the only venomous animals in the world, obviously. There's plenty of other kinds, but that just made me even more fascinated with them. So I, I tend to, you know, be even more excited by venomous snakes than non-venomous because of that. Yeah. And do you have a favorite African animal to work with? 
Oh gosh. That's, <laughs> uh, I mean, some of my most beautiful, special moments have been with so many African animals. I mean, when it comes to okay, reptiles, I mean, like I said, I love crocs and I do love snakes. So, I mean, getting to work with like a big, thick gaboon viper, even a big puff adder or cobra, that's super exciting for me in the reptile world. And then bird world, I've gotten to work with some really neat birds. I mean, one of my favorites actually, actually was in Vesco. I got to work with these huge, oh God, I forget the specific species, but it was a hornbill species. And it was just, I mean, they're just so incredible. I, I love hornbills. You know, they're all, they're in Southeast Asia as well, different ones. But they're, those guys are super, super neat. Uh, I love birds of prey. I remember when I was in Terengary, I'm sorry, Lake Minyara, I was eating a sandwich and this big fish eagle <laughs> just came and swooped by right next to me. And I watched it just fly away with my sandwich. And then, of course, you got to love the rat sites. You know, you got to love ostriches and... Those guys are too cool. Yeah, I have a healthy respect for ostriches. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've heard some horror stories with them too, my gosh. But I have heard of them eviscerating people, just opening up. Yep. Just opening them up, splitting them wide open. Yeah, yeah. You... I'm sure they have the power to do that. I mean, the big ostriches are over, you know, over 150 kids. They're mm. huge. Yeah. So talk to me about your Rwanda trip. So you trekked up into the Volcanoes National Park in Varunga to see the Silverback Mountain Gorillas. What was that like the first time you laid eyes on a wild gorilla up there? Oh my god, it was everything. So the first gorilla we saw, this was so incredible. I I took my best friend on this trip. His name's Tim. And uh, we grew up together. We've been buds for like 20, over 20 years now. Yep. And uh, we're with a group. So we're with, uh, you know, eight or 10 other people. You know, it's just kind of how those, those gorilla hikes work often uh, in Rwanda, at least. And we got, we were with one of our guides. We had a few guides. And my, Tim, myself, and one of the other guides kind of got a little ahead of the group. And we were just kind of on our own in this area. Um, not super far from them, but a little ways. And we knew we were super close to this male. And all of a sudden, this huge, you know, mountain gorillas are not the biggest gorilla, but still this guy was, you know, must have been well over 300 pounds, over 150 kicks easily. Mm-hmm. And at first I'm like, oh my gosh, like, does he see us? Like, does he know how close he is? He must, you know? And then I'm just blown away by how how formidably muscular he is. Yeah. You know, he's obviously not standing as tall as me, but he's much, much wider. And his forearms are thicker than my thighs. I mean, this guy's just nature's like bodybuilder he's just a ball of muscle and then all of a sudden this guy's approaching us he's breaking through some bushes and just casually approaching us he just lays down i'm not kidding arms length away right in front of us on his back he's belly up and so i know animals animal behavior well and an animal when they are stressed out in any way they will never reveal their vulnerability of their habit like no animal will do that yeah and this guy's laying on his belly, arms behind his back, like he's sunning at the beach or something. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like blown away and just seeing like this big, powerful, just gnarly, potentially dangerous, crazy animal so casually, comfortably just sitting right in front of me. And it obviously is a huge testament to how habituated they are to people. This is not a wild gorilla that's never seen people. He's seen plenty of people over the years. So it's, it's not the same as just like coming across a gorilla that's never seen someone that you know what I mean? I mean, I just, it's just on fascination. I'm just like taking everything in, looking at all of him, just looking at his huge legs and his arms and his huge chest and lats are like the size of my entire body. Just like, I like, I, I love, I, I love, uh, you know, exercise and fitness and stuff. So I, I know a bit about that just being a veterinarian too. 
And so I'm just like totally sizing him up and just blown away. And he was so habituated. And then he led us to his little family. And he had his, um, he, his girlfriend or whatever, if you will, was the oldest breeding mountain gorilla in the area. She was 43 years old at the time. They had a newborn that was under a year old. And then they had two other young gorillas with them. They're two other kids that were like uh, three and like four years old. And they were playing. And we just, you know, the whole group eventually got there. We hung out with them for about an hour, took pictures, had a phenomenal time. And we're just like in the middle of, you know, in the middle of Rwanda, just hanging with some gorillas. And it's really special to get to see them. I mean, listen, I'm not I'm not against zoos. Actually, I really advocate high-quality good zoos that do, you know, that make a difference for conservation. And there's a lot of, you know, garbage BS zoos that are just in it for the money. But, you know, you see them in captivity, and it's interesting. It's neat. But, man, when you get to see them in that wild environment where they really live yep. and just spend time with them, just see. And, you, and then you see, and, you, you know, you know this. We know how much gorillas are like people genetically behaviorally emotionally uh, you know that wasn't news to me but when you really see it firsthand and you really see how this big silverback male that could you know without even thinking about it flick my head off my body being so gentle to this little not even year old little baby and groom it and you see his other two kids that are picking their nose and wrestling and playing i mean they're just like people they're really just like people and they're so damn relatable yeah, and this goes for any primate, but really with those big apes, chimps, the same kind of thing. Orangutans, the same kind of thing. Yeah, and so, that's that. That was something that, that just that hits home. I think you know, for anyone that's human, you don't have to be a vet or you know an animal enthusiast to, to see this. Any human being could see this and be like, oh my gosh, they're really there's like people in gorilla costumes. <laughs> yeah, very much so. So, are there any other African animals that you want to work with that you haven't had the chance to yet? Um, yeah, gosh, there's tons. I mean, I love working with big cats. I've been fortunate to work with lions, leopards, and cheetahs, and servals. That's all. I mean, what the hell? You know, I went to Liberia after that Rwanda trip I was just talking about. Yep. And I was in search of the pygmy hippos. So I went to this oh, yes. yep. national park that has the biggest population of pygmy hippos in southern Liberia. And, uh, you know, there was some there was some government stuff going on and some local stuff going on and then that just didn't allow us to even get in the park which was a huge bummer but i would love to uh even get to see those in the wild would be super super special what else i mean there's so many obscure primate species and uh, i mean there's all these reptiles too i'd love to work with one of those huge spinning cobras native to uh, tanzania and kenya those big like something <laughs> i mean they get like three meters long they're huge like the biggest spinning cobra in the world i mean what a trip wow that'd be super cool i mean i'd love to work with buffalo too i've not had a chance to work with buffalo yeah, and that would be pretty special. Yeah. Uh, wild dogs, you know, I've been around them, I've seen them a bit, but I've never like hands-on, full-on worked with one, and that that would be really special. I love hyenas. I've gotten to interact with a couple, but I've never like done any medical work on one. And I mean, they're one of my absolute favorites. Really love hyenas, so that that would be super special and fun to me too. Yeah. So tell us about your favorite place in Africa, and why is it so special to you? Okay, so in I love all of South Africa where I've been, and I still haven't seen most of it. But in, and maybe it's just because of the people that I work with that are so just diehard, endlessly passionate about the work they do, and they put their lives on the line to save these rhinos. So when I'm in some of these like people, really on Palansburg area, that area national park, or even in Greater Kruger area, those are so special to me because it's. I mean, as an American, that's kind of your quintessential iconic Africa. Americans, when you tell say Africa to an American, and Africa has every climate, it has everything that you have anywhere else in the world. It has jungle, it has desert, it has mountains, it has everything. 
but Americans, they think of these like grasslands, you know, bushveld kind of thing with, you know, elephants and giraffe and rhino and that quintessential kind of thing. And, and for me, I love that part of South Africa that has that. It's so iconic and it has, you know, it has more rhino than probably anywhere else in Africa. And it's, uh, you know, the people I've worked with are so incredible. So that that's a really, really special spot for me. But, I mean, I love Central Africa. I mean, I was in the Congo, and it was just so crazy to be there. All my friends and family thought I was crazy for going there. I'm like, I know people. I'm going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And just getting out in, like, this raw jungle in Central Africa that most people never get to go to. I mean, when I hiked with the Eastern Lowland Gorillas, me and Natalie and some guards, some guides, like, we didn't have any other tourists with us. And it was like, oh, my gosh, we had this special experience, and we're just right there, right up next to a silverback and his whole family. And there was even more gorillas there, so... Those moments are pretty special, too. Yeah. Do you think your outlook on life has changed since working and travelling in Africa? Uh, yeah, I mean, how could it not? Mm. You know, and I'll tell you that the, you see these stories and you see these animals and you see what's happening, and that does a lot, especially for someone like me. And that, that really affects, you know, how I feel about things and how much I want to help and how these animals need our help and, and all that. Absolutely. And getting to work with them hands-on, getting to actually spend physical time with the rhino is huge, and that changed everything for me. Yeah. And just made me that much more motivated to do that. But really, I'd say, you know, ever since that first trip with Rhino 911, what what influenced me as much or more than anything was working with these people Mm. that are so, so passionate. I mean, I'm not kidding. They put their lives on the line to help save these animals. And it's not because they're motivated by money. Or it's not because they have to politically, or I mean, there's they, they truly do it because they're passionate about these iconic animals, and they're passionate about the wildlife that live in their country, and they'll do anything, anything. I mean, they put all their free time and money, and their, you know, and they risk their lives to save these animals. And this isn't just with rhino. I mean, I experienced the same kind of thing when I went to the Congo, and I'm so inspired by these people that I mean, just they put everything on the line, and they they sacrifice so much to help these animals and, and just, just to fight for what they truly believe in. And so when I see how much love and passion they put into their work, that that was really, that, that kind of stuff is super inspiring to me. Yeah. Why do you think Africa is a continent that captures the hearts and souls of people from around the world? Africa has, you know, our, our planet's, it has our planet's most iconic wildlife. You know, and I'm not saying this because I like, you know, I don't like other wildlife in other parts of the world. I'm very passionate about Southeast Asian wildlife and even New World wildlife. I absolutely love it. But every little kid grows up and you ask them, what's their favorite animal? I'll bet you 99% of the time they're going to say some animal from from Africa, mm-hmm. you know, Sub-Saharan Africa. So it's such an iconic land and it's got such iconic wildlife that just you know people all over the world love and love to see and want to see and, and are, we're probably passionate about at some point in their life you know as a kid or whatever at least you know especially i mean at least the western world you know i can't speak for every country but i'm, I'm telling you for most western countries i'll bet you most of those kids are saying their favorite animal's a lion or an elephant or something like that you know yeah do you have if someone is wanting to travel to africa for the first time or is thinking about it what would be one piece of travel advice you'd offer them? You know, it really depends on what they're motivated for. Most people that I speak to, especially as being in the animal world, they want to work with animals. So my, my, my advice would be to get in touch with a place that does good work and good, cons- you know, if it is animals, good conservation work and can, can get you some good hands-on experience and, well, you know, it's a safe place to be and that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know, I just, that's, 
it really depends on what they want to do, I guess. My advice would be, you know, don't let anywhere scare you out of going, I guess. It would be just be the, the best thing to say, because that's just such a common issue I hear, just being an American. And I know people say that these days. People say that about our country. I think a lot of people are afraid to go to America and fear that they're going to get shot. And yeah, way more people get shot here than other places, but still, the risk of that's very low. And it's, you know, it's like that in Africa too. Just don't don't let fear stop you from doing something that you really want to see or do. So, if you could tell anyone one reason why they should go to Africa, what would that be? Oh man, if you want to experience just some of the essence of you know our planet's natural beauty, that's just, that's a great spot to see it. You're gonna just the culture is raw the animals and the wildlife is raw i mean that's you're gonna see just like as as our heritage as a as an earthling like on our whole planet africa has some of the richest heritage of anywhere on on the entire planet and so if you want to see a little bit more of that and experience a bit of that then you, you ought to go all right so what's next for you do you have any plans to return to africa soon i do i'm gonna be there next month my goodness, what are you doing? I'm work, I'm going to be teaming up with um, Ivan Carter. Yep. Uh, I actually just met him for the first time, so I, I was connected through him because he does a ton of work. Oh my God, with so much. Diega, yep. where, which is where I saw the Lowland Gorillas, and then with the Lariwa Primate Rescue in the Congo. Yes. And so the Congo was like, hey, if you're going back to South Africa, you got to meet up with Ivan. So we ended up linking up. I met him at the South Africa Wildlife College. We had a heck of a day together and got to know each other a bit more, and I got to see more of his work and some of the anti-poaching dogs and, and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that was super neat. But we, he invited me to come help him do a giraffe translocation in Uganda uh, later in, in, uh, in October, in about a month from now. Wow. Yeah, so I'll be back. I'll always be back. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. So Evan, I'd just like to say a big thank you. Without amazing people like yourself, this project could never have come about and my love and passion for Africa could not be shared with the world on such a grand scale. Just before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to add before the interview finishes? No, I just want to thank you for including me and just giving me this opportunity to chat with you about Africa and I'm thankful for what you're doing to spread some awareness about it. Oh, awesome. All right. Hey, and we'll catch up with you soon, okay? Excellent. All right, thank you so much, Dr. Evan Anton. To find out what he has been up to lately or to follow his journey, all the links to his social media pages will be below in the comments. Otherwise, you can find him on our website at www.iheartafricaproject.com under the Meet Africa tab. We are also on social media at iheartafricaproject. Subscribe, keep tuned. We have more amazing people who are sharing their love and experiences of Africa with you all.